Thank y'all so much for that. If you have your Bibles, I'll invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 1 this morning. I will uh, I'll share with you something I thought was kind of funny. I, I was talking to Nick Johnson this morning before church, and I told him that uh, whenever I was at, at Polkville before I came here, if y'all can believe, it's almost been a year since I've been here. And I told him, I said, whenever I was there, I had to be in charge of all the stuff in the computer for the service as well as the preaching and those things. Sometimes I would even run the computer. I would do the words, and I would come up and welcome, and I'd go back and do the words. And I said, man, I'm glad I don't have to do that anymore. I don't have to worry with that, and, and everything just goes fine now. I always messed it up, and the computer heard me this morning. So uh, thank you all for working with us through a couple of technical difficulties this morning. But in... In the book of Luke, uh, as we continue the story that we saw last week, if you weren't here, a little bit of a brief catch-up, we looked at uh, the announcement of the birth of John the Baptist. We saw his mother, Elizabeth, and his uh, father, Zachariah, who was a priest. They were older, and we don't know exactly how old, but they were past the point of expecting to ever have children. She was barren. They had wanted children. And we see that, that the Lord blesses them and comes and, and sends an angel. Uh, Gabriel comes and tells them that God is going to answer their prayer, that they are going to have a child. Uh, and not only will they have a child, but this child is going to be the forerunner of Christ. He's going to go before the Messiah and tell people, and he's going to bring great joy to many people and turn the hearts of fathers to their children and turn the hearts of, of wicked people back to God. And, and they hear this wonderful, wonderful news in this birth announcement. And then today we're going to pick back up in Luke chapter 1, and we're going to see another birth announcement, one that's even more amazing and more exciting than that of John the Baptist. If you would, look with me in chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. We'll begin reading there this morning. It says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. So here in this introduction, uh, I love that, that it continues the story. It's, it's going right along with where we left off looking at the, the birth announcement of John the Baptist. It said that that was uh, through the fifth month that Elizabeth had kept herself conceived and hadn't really announced. Nobody knew that she was having this child. And it picks right back up in verse 26 and says, in the sixth month. That's not the sixth month of the year. That's not the sixth month. Of, that's the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. So, in the sixth month that Elizabeth is pregnant, the angel Gabriel is sent once again. God sends him to make another birth announcement. He's, he's this messenger. He may feel like a stork at this point. But Gabriel is going and he is telling people that don't think that they're having babies that they're going to have a baby. And he got to go tell Elizabeth. And now he's sent. And these verses tell us several things about the person that he's sent to. One of the first things that we see is that her name was Mary. We see that in verse 27. But we also see in verse 26 that Mary lived in a place called Nazareth. And now I know to us that doesn't mean just a whole lot uh, if you're not real familiar with uh, this, the places in this day and time. But Nazareth was a very small town. This would have been an unexpected place to have found royalty. 
uh, a small town. It was off the beaten path. It wasn't on any of the major travel routes that people would have gone down. And it was even described this way uh, over in the book of John, chapter 1. Whenever they're talking, Philip, the disciple, is trying to tell Nathaniel, the, the other one, he's trying to tell them that they found this exciting and amazing man named Jesus. And he says, we found Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel looks at him and says, can anything come good come out of Nazareth? Now, I know I've talked about this before, and I explained it to y'all, because I know y'all are... Right, very high-class people here. These are the people of Brookhaven. These are the people of Lincoln County. And y'all know, many of you at least know, that at one point in time, I lived in Monticello, which to many of you is the little brother town. And some of you might would say, can anything good come out of Monticello? That's how these people would have looked at Nazareth. Can anything good come out of small, little bitty Nazareth? So the fact that, that it says that this virgin named Mary lived in Nazareth would have meant a whole lot more to them than it would to us. That makes it very unexpected that this is where Gabriel would have been going to make this very exciting announcement. We see a couple of other things about her that, that all work together to make her an unlikely candidate for this. You say, what's the job? The job is somebody is going to get to be the mother of Jesus Christ. Somebody is going to get to be the mother of the Son of God. They're going to get to hold in their womb and raise up the Messiah that's coming to save us from our sins. Now, first of all, the fact that she's from Nazareth makes it seem like, no, she's probably, you see that on her resume, you think she's probably not going to get chosen for this job. Then you go a little bit further, and you see that she is a virgin. Well, there again, that's going to make her very unlikely to be the mother of anyone, much less the mother of the Messiah. We see another thing in verse 27. It says that she was betrothed to a man who was named, whose name was Joseph. So betrothed, we don't use that term. It's a little bit more than engaged, but a little bit less than married. So it's, it's, they're more firmly bound together. They're legally bound. So it's not just like an engagement. It's not just, I've given a ring and she said, yes, there's a, there's a legal aspect to this. But it's not quite to the point of marriage. And so again, you say, there's a woman who's from small Nazareth who has never known a man who isn't even married. Her resume doesn't look very strong to be chosen to be the one that's going to get to be the mother of the coming king. But then what we see, and this is the thing that I want you to pay, pay attention to most about Mary, is what we see in verse 28. Speaking of Gabriel, it says, And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And then again in verse 30, he says, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, Even though in our eyes there are several reasons that Mary is not the best choice for this. God handpicks Mary to have this position. Point one this morning, God's wisdom is not conventional wisdom. It is God's wisdom. And I want us to make sure that we understand that. God doesn't work based off of conventional wisdom. God doesn't work based off what we would call common sense. God works off of God's wisdom. God works off of God's sense. And often it contradicts what we would think is best. Now, 
especially if you're living in this day and time, we're trying to put ourselves in the shoes of these people. We're trying to put ourselves in the shoes of the, the Israelites, the Jewish people in this day and time, right? Anything about the Messiah would have been big news. Ever since you were born, you would have been hearing about the Messiah, about the Savior that's coming, about Emmanuel, God coming to be with us. You would have heard about this. You would have anticipated this. You would have prayed for this every day of your life. This was the thing that most excited them. These Romans that are ruling us aren't going to rule us forever. God is coming and he's going to rule us and he's going to set us free. You would have anticipated this. So whenever you heard... That the announcement had been made that the Messiah was coming, that God was sending himself to earth, that God was sending his son on our behalf, you would have been so excited. But if you would have heard it like this, you would have been so excited and then you probably would have had that double take. Yes, thank you God, the Messiah is coming. Wait, who did you say is going to be the mother of the Messiah? A woman who's not married, who's never known a man that's from Nazareth? Mary is going to be the mother of the Messiah? No, no, no. Why don't we do this? Why don't we repick and why don't we pick a prominent family? Right? Because if we pick a prominent family from a big city, then immediately from his birth, Jesus is going to have more influence and he's going to have a larger platform and he'll be easy, easily be able to reach more people and he's going to have more power. God, why don't we go that route? That's the way that makes the most sense. Let's choose a prominent, uh, very powerful family. Or we might have just said, what about the mother? Let's choose one that, that's already married, that maybe already has some children, because then she's going to know more about raising children, and there aren't going to be the questions that this woman might face because she's just betrothed and not quite married. Let's, let's choose a lady that's going to take out some of the scandal that would take place if Mary's the one that's chosen. In our conventional wisdom, Mary looks like one of the least likely candidates to be the mother of Jesus. But if you remember what Brother Dusty read earlier, from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, you don't have to turn there, but I'll read it for you. It says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And then in verse 31 it says, Let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. You see, what God did in this decision, one of the things that he did, one of the things that he did in choosing Mary was made it so that it's not about who, her, who she is and who her family is. It's all going to be about God. Because whenever a, a Messiah, a Savior, a King comes from a lowly family, from a small city, nobody says, well, of course he's the King. He was born to a prominent family. They are noble and they have lots of money, power, and influence. They say, no, if, that, if, a, if a King came from that family and from that town, then this must be the working of God. God made sure that his son was born into a family that would make sure that his name was glorified. 
He didn't want it to be about Mary and her family. He didn't want it to be about the big city and, and, and all the royalty in the castle. He wanted it to be about his power working in somebody that they would have never expected his power to work in. In verse 28, I love the way that this is said, and sometimes we misinterpret this, but Gabriel says, Greetings, O favored one. And then again in verse 30, You have found favor with God. And sometimes we look at that this way. We say, Mary found favor because she was a woman of great faith. I've heard that before. Mary found favor. Mary got chosen because of who she was. But the truth is, it's actually the opposite. Mary got chosen because of who she wasn't. See, the wording here, whenever it says, you have found favor with God, that's not because of who you are. God picked you because you're his favorite. What that, what that means in its original writing is somebody who was favored with God's grace. It's somebody who has been blessed and chosen to receive a special blessing. The angel's not saying, Mary, because of who you are, you have become God's favorite. No, the angel is saying, Mary, you who don't deserve to be the mother of the Messiah, God has chosen to favor you and give you this special blessing. It's not that Mary was chosen because she was special. It's that Mary was special because God chose her. That's exactly what this text is saying. So we don't look at Mary and say, yes, God chose her because of these reasons. We say, she's special because God chose her. She's favored because God chose her. And it makes me think of a lot of other people in the Bible, as Brother Dusty mentioned earlier. We think about Saul, how unlikely he was to be chosen to be Paul, the one that would write so much of the New Testament, you know, as this murderer who's, who's going after people in the church and trying to get rid of all Christians. We think about David. Right, They're trying to find somebody to fight Goliath. There's the giant, and he's saying, somebody come fight me. And you say, well, who's the most likely candidate? Well, surely it's a small shepherd boy who's not even a part of the army who's never been trained to fight. Surely that's the most likely candidate. No, but who does God choose and who does God use to get rid of the giant? And nobody said, well, of course they killed Goliath. It was the strongest, biggest of them all. They said, no. David was able to defeat the giant because God was on his side. And only because God was on his side. And Mary falls right in that same lineage. Mary was able to be the mother of the Messiah only because God chose her and God strengthened her. The text points to that as well. Look back in verse 28. Gabriel's greeting, he says, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And the way that that last part is written, the Lord is with you. We only find that same writing in that same way in the all of the scriptures one other time. Many of you know the story of Gideon. Gideon was a man that was scared. Gideon is a man that was hiding, trying to uh, beat out some wheat in a wine press, and that's doing something that you shouldn't do in a place you should never do it because he was scared that if his enemies saw him that they would come and take all of his wheat. He was a scared man, hiding so that he wouldn't have to fight. 
And the angel comes and says, Gideon, you have been chosen to lead the army of God to defeat the enemies. Again, what a likely choice. A man that's hiding from his enemies is going to be chosen to be the man to be the general to fight the enemies. But then the angel says this in his greeting to Gideon. The Lord is with you. Gideon, you will be able to do this task that will scare you to death. Because God's going to be with you. And so whenever Gabriel comes to Mary, before he even lays out the task that she has before her, he says, Mary, what I'm about to tell you is explaining how God has chosen you to be favored. But don't worry because God's going to be with you. The Lord is with you. So no, in all of the things that we have, all of our conventional wisdom, Mary seems like the wrong choice here. But God handpicked her, which tells me she is absolutely the right choice. Point two this morning. God empowers those that he chooses instead of choosing those that are seen as powerful. God chooses people and he empowers those people. He doesn't choose people that he thinks would already be powerful and not need his help. That's not how God works. As this narrative continues, look with me in verse 31. As, the, as it shifts from talking about Mary to talking about the son. In verse 31, it says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. So here as it, it switches and, and we... Stop talking about Mary for a moment, and now Gabriel's telling Mary about the son that she's going to have, how exciting this must be in some ways. And then she hears some things that, again, to her, in her day and time, in her context, would clearly tell her, this is the promised Messiah. One of the first things is the name. You shall call his name Jesus. Now, again, last week we talked about John not being a, a family name for Zachariah and Elizabeth. Usually you picked a family name or named a son after the father. And anytime you didn't, there's something very meaningful about that name that's going to be given. And it's the same here whenever we see that his name is going to be Jesus. And I don't know that that's not specifically a family name for Mary, but I know that's not the name of her husband, Joseph, although it is the name of the father because this is the son of God. But the name Jesus means Yahweh saves or Yahweh is salvation Yahweh is God's personal name so God saves that was Jesus's name when he walked around and they said hey Jesus in their language they're saying hey God saves hey Yahweh is salvation how are you doing today the very name of the Messiah itself tells us who he was and what he was here to do no more fitting name could have ever been chosen we also see as it's describing who he's going to be in verse 32. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. And that right there in and of itself would have been enough for Mary. He will be understood, not just called, it's not a nickname. People will call him, people will know that he is the son of God. So this is exciting news. 
Right? I told you their whole life they've been waiting for the Messiah. They've been wanting him to come. They've been praying for him to come. And now all of a sudden Mary finds out not only is he coming, but I'm going to get to be his mother. Point three. The last point this morning. I like to put that in there because y'all get excited whenever I say that. The last point. Y'all smile. Point three. Jesus the baby is the incarnate Messiah is our only hope of salvation. Jesus the baby, the baby in the manger, is the Messiah and is our only hope of salvation. Now, I say that this morning and you all say, duh, Brother Zach, we know that. And yes, we know that, but my, my question to you this morning is, do we recognize that? At Easter, we recognize who Jesus is. We think about him on the cross. We think about him dying in our place. We think about his resurrection. But sometimes at Christmas, I think maybe we get stuck on just the baby. And because he's a baby and because of his size, we sing songs about the baby in the manger and the silent night. And sometimes I think we start to forget that the baby in the manger isn't just a baby. He's the Messiah. He's Emmanuel. He's God come to earth in human flesh. It's our hope of salvation. It's not the birth of this baby. It's the birth of our hope. And that's what Christmas is about. It's not about the silent night and the star. All of those things are true. Was he a baby born in a manger? Absolutely. But so much more than just a baby in a manger, he is God. He's the one that came to die in our place to save us from our sins. That's what Christmas is about. That's what we sing about. That's what we celebrate. I pray, at least, that that's what we sing about. And that's what we celebrate. That's what's in our hearts when we say these things. It's not just a baby that we don't get lost in his size and age and forget that he is ageless. That he's born in this manger, but he never had a birth date because he's existed forever and ever, and he will exist forever and ever. And he doesn't stay a baby, he becomes a man, and in between those times he never sins and never does anything wrong and lays out a perfect example of how to live. And then he goes to a cross and dies in our place and takes the punishment for our sins so that we don't have to. And the text continues, and Mary asks a very fair question. She says, how is this going to happen? Because I'm a virgin. I think it's a very fair question for her to ask. And the angel explains to her again, so that nobody's going to be confused that this is God's working, that the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you, and that's how you're going to conceive this son. Another very exciting thing. And then he tells her one last thing that I want you to see in verse 36. And behold... Your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. As Mary heard that, it's another one of those things that to her has to sound so different than it does to us. Now, I don't know exactly how close kin Mary and Elizabeth were. It doesn't lay that out. It just says that they were relatives. I'm assuming... And I want to make clear that I'm assuming, but I'm assuming that Mary would have known that Elizabeth had been barren her whole life. That she would have known that, that this relative Elizabeth had hoped to have children and had never been able. That she would have known about Elizabeth's shame for not ever having a child. And so then whenever she hears Mary, you know Elizabeth, old Elizabeth, barren Elizabeth, who's always wanted a child, who's never had a child, who's too old to have children now? 
Mary, she's pregnant. Mary, she's six months pregnant right now. And how exciting that would have to be for Mary. And then the angel uses that for a point. Gabriel says, I tell you this so that you'll understand that nothing's impossible with God. Mary, nothing is impossible with God. Some of you sitting in here this morning are an attestment to that fact that nothing is impossible with God. Because at one point in time in your life and in my life, people would have looked and said, he or she won't ever be sitting there on a Sunday morning enjoying listening to the sermon. I added enjoying. I don't know if you are or not. But sitting there and enjoying singing the songs and enjoying being in the presence of Almighty God. He or she, they won't ever do that. And you're here this morning as an attestment that nothing is impossible. With that neighbor that you think won't ever be here, that cousin that you think wouldn't ever give their life to Christ, maybe this morning you need to be reminded from the words of Gabriel who said last week, I stand in the presence of God. Nothing is impossible with God. And this morning as we think about how do we apply this text to our lives, there are a lot of ways that the Lord may impress this upon your heart, but a couple that I see very clearly this morning is that if you're here and you are lost, you're here and you're coming and you're going through the motions and maybe you're a member and maybe you're not, but you're here today and you realize that you have always seen the baby in the manger, but you've never recognized him as God in flesh. That you've always celebrated Christmas, that you've always sang all of the, the songs, but that you've never realized who he was and why he came and you've never given your life to him. If that's you here this morning, the thing that you need to do is recognize who he is and humble yourself and give your life to him. That's what you need to do. I can talk to you about that. I can explain to you how that looks. I can help you understand that, but it's a decision that you have to make between you and the Lord. But I also know this morning that there are some Christians here. And some of you need to hear this reminder that God has chosen you. And you say, there's nothing good about me. I'm not a good talker. I'm not a good speaker. I don't teach well. I don't sing well. What, what could I do? And you remember that last week an old woman that couldn't have children was having a child. And this morning we learned that a virgin is going to have a child as well. Listen, I know you think God can't use you, but God can use you. He didn't choose you. He didn't choose to use you because you have a lot of things to offer. He chose you and he's going to give you something to offer. He's going to give you the power. He's going to give you a message to share. You don't need your own message. He'll give you the voice. He'll give you whatever you need. It's not about you. It's about him. We've already seen that. So I pray this morning that if that's you, if you're here and you think that you can just come to church and you can go home, but you can't really do anything for God, that this morning that you realize that you can do something and that he has chosen you to do some things. But then I also know that there's a category that I would be closer to this morning. And there are some of us here this morning that need to hear this. God didn't choose you because you're special. Some of us are here this morning and we think, or you have thought at one point, that God chose me because I can do this well. God has chosen me because I'm, I was his first pick because I have something good to offer to the team because I'm special. We get this feeling like God needs me, brothers and sisters. You know why he chose you? Because you are the weak and foolish things that he's going to use to humble those that think that they're wise and strong. 
He didn't choose me because I'm a good preacher. He didn't choose me because I'm a good teacher or because of my great looks. That's not why God chose me, obviously. God chose me so that when people look at me and say, if he can do it, there's no doubt that it's God working through him because he couldn't do it on his own. He's not special on his own. He's not a great teacher or speaker. He's not all those things. It has to be God. And that's why he's chosen you. If you're here this morning and you're a Christian, I pray that you would respond. I want to ask you to stand this morning as we move to a time of invitation. I pray that every one of you would respond to the Lord the way that Mary responded to the angel Gabriel in verse 38. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. I pray this morning that you would do whatever the Lord asks you to as Brother Shane leads us in